0: Episode 199 of the Bevan James Isle Show, an interview with Yasmin London. Radio team, welcome along to episode 199 of the Bevan James Isle Show. This has been going for a while, team. It's been going for a long, long time. I think the first episode of this podcast, it's probably been over ten years. If I if I go right back to the start which I'm trying to do right here in my little podcast app right now, probably goes back to about 2010. So pretty crazy when you think about that. Good news is, is that we're going to continue on. And today we've got a great interview with a lady by the name of Yasmin London. And she's a pretty interesting lady because she's got a few kind of aspects to what she does. She does a lot of public speaking around, um, what, what's, the, what's the term she calls here? She calls it courageous conversations. And this is this idea around having hard conversations in life. Uh, also around leadership mindset but she's probably spending most of her energy nowadays around digital well-being and online safety and she is the executive director of a social media organization in Australia called Why Safe. so but also she's got a bit of an interesting background because she was a very elite swimmer uh, as a young person Australian champion I think also a world champion as a young age grouper so I just thought it'd be really cool to get on the show and, and kind of obviously pretty high level person I was a policeman as well, and, and I find police people such an interesting life, so I thought I'd get her on the show, and I think she I haven't actually done the interview yet, so I don't know what she's going to talk about, we're just going to have a conversation, but I'm pretty sure she has some really good insight in some pretty key areas of our life. One thing I want to talk about before I get into the interview with Yasmin is um, how, how you looking after your people in your life. How you looking after the people in your life. And when I say this, I'm not maybe, maybe even thinking about in a mental health way. I'm thinking about just in having good times with your people. And the reason I say this is because over the last four or five days, I've just had some really fun times with the people in my life. Uh, yesterday, I had—I won't be seeing my nannas on Christmas Day, so we had kind of a family get-together with... Um, based around my nanas and but with my main immediate family. And um, I'm very lucky because my family's very close and there's no real tension in my family, which helps. Um, but we just sit around and we talk and there's lots of laughs. And there was this moment where uh, my sister admitted that she buys some, I don't know, high-end kind of facial cream. And she'd, she'd obviously told her partner she spent so much on it, but she said to the group, Here's how much i you know, this cost me, I don't know, let's just say it was 300 bucks a month or for six months' worth. 300 bucks for six months' worth. And her partner, Daz, says, 300 bucks, you said 200. And it was just a moment where everyone started cracking up laughing because she'd kind of been caught in the act. And it was really cool because my, my sister went a bit red. But the, I remember just as this moment happens and everybody's laughing, I looked around the room and I just thought to myself, this is really healthy. This moment of we all just having a good laugh together. Then on Saturday, I had my coaches get together for the running group. And um, so our coaches, we get together once a year. It's kind of the Christmas thing. And went to bowling, went for a drink afterwards. And one of our coaches texts us afterwards. And they may have been going through some tough time recently. And they said, it was really nice to hear laughter and to realize it was coming from me. And then uh, on Friday night, I had my own, well, my Les Mills, where I teach classes, function. And we went out and we had a, a, a night time at a, at a restaurant, or it was kind of a bar. And it was just a private room for us, our crew. And a guitarist and came along, we all got up and danced. And it was just a good bunch of people having good fun dancing together. I and mean, when we think about this time of the year, we are in that time of year, or at least in, in the southern hemisphere but you know even in other places where it is more winter you you tend to hang out with people more at this time of year and so when I say are you looking after your people what I'm thinking of is are you creating experiences and engaging in experiences which can really bring out some of the beautiful side of humanity you know like dancing i I, I don't dance a lot um, partly because my life's not really about going out to, you know, to bars and stuff, but I tell you what, and I don't drink, um, but I love dancing, I love it when you've got, you know, songs that everyone knows, you're singing along, you're kind of having your moments together, it's such a fun thing to do with your people, Um, laughing, you know, having some shared experiences, like team and bowling and, um, you know, being in a group of people having some fun discussions, it was... You know, at this time of year, which is often sold as a material time of year around gifting and stuff like that, and there's nothing wrong with gifting, but, but fundamentally the real value of a time of year like a Christmas time or a holiday season is that it brings people together. And when you think about bringing your people together, there's probably two things I just want to encourage you to do. The first is to be the person who engages. You know, like if, if it is that dance thing, um, don't be the person who sits on the sideline wishing you could dance, but you don't dance. Be the person who en- engages. If there's games, play the games. If there's a conversation, en- engage in the conversation. Like Be the person who's present. I think one of the most beautiful character traits you can have in life is that you Participate you know, that you participate. And it might mean at times you look like a fool. It might mean at times you're uncomfortable. It might mean at times you get a little bit wrong. But I would much rather be a person who participates and maybe isn't great at something than somebody who sits on the sideline and thinks, I wish I could do that. So in this time, the first thing is participate. And then secondly, engage in a way or, or, or maybe even try to create situations where you can have Really awesome human moments of your people You know human moments Like when we just laughed with my sister And her husband um, Just these moments where You kind of have that moment and you think to yourself Wow that's a really cool thing because I, I, when we think about health, and, and you know, we talk about mental health, we talk about physical health, and, and we often go into the deeper level of these areas, and, and they are really important, don't, don't get me wrong, you do want to have those deep conversations, you do want to have good emotional outlets, you do want to have good movement in your life, those are really important things. But some of the most basic sides of humanity are actually just as rewarding. Laughing with your friends, having shared experiences, stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit. So as you move into this next time of year, Think to yourself, what what am I going to do to make sure I engage, to make sure I participate, and to make sure I can just have more of those human experiences. And then probably last thing I'll say on top of that is when you have them, take a moment to catch them. Like yesterday when I was sitting around, we're all crazy. Like honestly, the room was in hysterics. And I just pulled out of that moment for a moment and I just thought, wow, this is this is health, this is this is connection, this is humanity. And, and, and catch it, because I just think that when you catch it, you appreciate it even a little bit more. So kind of not what I'd normally talk about before the main gist of today's show, but I just thought I wanted to share that with you because I think it's a – It's a really cool thing to be thinking about at this time of year where we are going to be a bit more social. We are going to be kind of engaging with people in ways that actually enriches our life. So that's pretty cool. Now I want to say a big thank you to the patrons of the show. These are people who support the show. And we have a new patron. Well, we have a patron who's been a patron for a long time. But unfortunately I think I missed giving him his nickname. So his nickname, his real name is Skip Slade. He's a triathlon coach. He's, he's a really, really cool man actually. He's, he's, been, he's contacted me a lot through my other podcasts over the years and he, you could tell Skip is a man who contributes a lot and contributes back to his community around triathlon and just being a good person in his community. And, um, And because his name's Skip, and I actually skipped his name, I'm going to call him, I will never Skip Slade, because I would never skip, and what I mean by that is you'll never skip helping other people. So I will never Skip Slade is our new patron name. Now, if you want to become a patron, I will never, I was writing this down in my notes, never Skip Slade. if you want to become a patron of my show, go to bevanjamesisles.com, go to podcast, go support me, and then go through the Patreon process. When you become a patron, you determine how much you want to give. It can be as little or as much as it wants, uh, as you want, and I want to say a big thank you to some of the patrons. When you become a patron, you also get a cool nickname, and these people are some of those people. Renee the Hawk horse we've got Michael Hardcore O'Kane, we've got uh, Samuel uh, Melino Weaver, which is mysterious man, and Donald the Explorer James. Now, Donald James has actually just finished written a book, writing a book called Manners, and it's going to be released in early no early February. And I'm I'm about I'd say I'm a third of the way through it right now. It's a really cool book. He's 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 a man who worked at NASA his whole life, a, a pretty high level at NASA. Um, And he was very influenced by the lessons his mother taught him. And the book's kind of probably mainly directed at young people going out into the world and and thinking about their career and thinking about how they how they live their life in really powerful ways and I'm really enjoying it because he's got some really good nuggets of kind of wisdom that he shares and because he's releasing his book I'm going to get it on, on the show at the beginning of 2021 so listen out for that episode and he's the book's on pre-sale right now so I'm sure if you go to like an Amazon you can look for Manners you could probably see by Donald James you could probably see that but I'll be do, I'll be interviewing him before he releases the book anyway so Donald I really look forward to having you on the show anyway um thank you to all the patrons of the show if you want to become a patron once again go to bevanjames.com go to podcast click on support me and you go from there anyway let's get into my interview with yasmin right now right i'm very happy to have on the show a lovely lady by the name of yasmin london on the show welcome to the show hi thank you
1: so much for
0: having me bevan uh no worries so I, i I was looking at your history and I see that you come from a swimming background. I'm always fascinated in swim, kids, because it's such a sacrifice and you you got to a pretty high level. So maybe tell us a little about your level and tell us about what that life was as a kid.
1: Yeah, so I guess I've, I've always been a bit of a water baby, um, you know, growing up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, Bondi Beach. For, for most people, it's a fairly rich recognizable place so i uh, always been a bit of a water baby but then when i was uh, probably about 12 or so i followed one of my best friends to swimming training because that's where she was going and i wanted to hang out with her uh, and i guess I, I found that i was pretty good at it so for about seven years uh, as a teenager most of my teenage um, hood i guess i spent up and down that black line uh, I think, you know, I'd probably go somewhere between seven to 10 Ks a session, sometimes twice a day. So it was a really very big commitment. Um, Mm. You know, I was lucky I saw results. I got on the Australian team when I was about 14 uh, and I ended up winning a world championship when I was 17. So, you know, it was, it was really good. It was obviously, you know, well worth the sacrifice, but, um, but certainly, you know, a bit of a tough road at times uh you know I was a backstroker um you know swimming as you mentioned it's a bit of a lonely sport it's not sort of like you know rugby or or netball or whatever those sorts of team sports that people get to do where they get to rely on each other was a very kind of isolating sport because it's really on you how much training you want to do and how good you want to be and how much you can commit so yeah I, I guess getting to that level was amazing um you know, I'm, I missed the Olympic team that same year that I won the world championship by really? 0.2 of a second. Uh, so, you know, it's – but it's swings and roundabouts, isn't it? You know, I think you've just got to look at the journey um, that that you go on and, and the lessons that that you take from something like elite sport uh, and how you can then apply that to the rest of your life. So, I
0: think well, – what, that- what was that moment like? Because you obviously – you, you're the world champ. You think the Olympics are coming. You yep. don't make the Olympics. Did you pull away from the sport pretty much straight away after that?
1: Yeah, I did actually. I think you know, I was—I turned eighteen, and it was that time in my life where I needed to make decisions as to whether I wanted to commit to another four years. Yeah. And um, at that point in my life, you know, I—I'd I'd done everything else in my in my sort of you know view. I'd, I'd achieved what I'd wanted to achieve, uh, other than that one you know one moment that I think every every athlete really strives for, but you know, I traveled the world, I'd learned, you know, a, a lot of different skills, I would developed myself into the, sort of the person that I wanted to be. And then I just needed to, I guess, grow a bit further and, and have my life not just be about swimming anymore. I had to find myself and who my identity was moving forward. So, uh, you know, it was a tough choice. Uh, it wasn't the way that I wanted to end my swimming career. But I think, You know, I always do reflect back on those moments and, you know, we can't look at one moment like that where we've missed out and think that we were a failure because, you know, that's looking at at, at a tiny percentage of the story. And I think for me at that time as well, swimming was you know, it was a sport where there wasn't a lot of future in it financially. You know, even some of the best swimmers in the world ended up, you know, having to go back to uni. They're Not, not everybody can get a commentating job, you know, on a, mm. on a network television show. So I had to reinvent myself. And so that's what I, I chose to
0: do. And what's that moment like? Because you go from the sport, which is very consuming, a lot of identity because you're very successful, to then yeah. like overnight, it's just gone. Yeah. What's that like?
1: incredibly hard Uh, that was probably one of the darkest toughest times of my life if I'm perfectly honest with you because when you're known for something and that's no longer there anymore you know your, your sense of self is completely destroyed so for me you know If I'm honest, I I went through a dark time. I was probably pretty depressed for a while. I wasn't diagnosed with anything technically, but I know how I was and I wasn't a good space. Mm. I went through a bit of an eating disorder as well. So, you know, trying to control my body, my body weight, what my physical shape was going to be. You know, I'd been in amazing shape my whole life. And when swimming, you know, that amount of kilometres every week for hours and hours wasn't there, then, you know, naturally, you know, my body changed as well. So I struggled a bit with that. And in the end, what I chose to do is I, I left Australia and I went to Canada um, oh. where nobody knew me. Oh, I got a job a, a job over there with a friend of mine. And I just sort of learned to reinvent myself without that swimming tagline. So I did a lot of traveling. Um, I met lots of people. Uh, and that was really, you know, I guess the the phoenix rising i guess the the new start for me Uh, and then i came back and sort of went on from there
0: so so you so you removed yourself from your environment and gave yourself the freedom to find yourself
1: yeah really i mean the people that i i knew over there they knew that i was a swimmer but they didn't know me only as that they know me as, as yasmin and i got the opportunity to to go out and party and have fun and not have to think about getting up at 4.30 in the morning the next day. And I learned to really enjoy that and and to let go, um, to try and, you know, lose the shackles of the discipline that swimming also taught me yeah. and to just have fun and and be myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's often the problem with a person who's very high level is that they feel guilty about not doing, hmm. you know, it's that guilt of not doing. And so they, they don't actually learn how to relax or just have downtime in their life. And I imagine that was maybe something you had to learn as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I I still struggle with that, if I'm perfectly honest, that it's always about what can I be doing to maximise the time that I've got towards a particular task. And, and I think the lesson in life for myself and probably many athletes is to learn to be still and Mm. to learn to be in the moment. And to not be completely future focused all the time, um, you know, that that obviously that mentality gets you, you know, gets you places because you're always doing and being proactive. But it's important to learn to balance and rest. And I guess that sort of that sort of mindset and the lessons around that has been something that I've had to focus on in the last couple of years.
0: Uh, <laughs> So before we go into detail on the kind of stuff we're here to talk about, you also then went on to become a policeman and, or a police person, police woman. Uh, and uh, and so tell us about that because that's a really interesting career, isn't it? And, and you're dealing with a lot of the crap of the world all the time. And I'm sure you are adding value in other ways, but you you know there's, there's these skills you need to develop and there's a kind of a thickness to your skin you need to kind of develop within yourself. So tell us what you kind of learned about life and helping others through your time in the police.
1: Yeah, the police was possibly the best learning opportunity anyone could ever ask for. You're exactly right. You're dealing with people on the worst day of their lives. Um, And for me, I did that for 13 years. So, you know, you you learn to, uh, I guess, manage people in those moments and try to contribute uh, where you can. So, you know, you're bound by laws and regulations and things that you're required to do as a police officer. But it's an interesting scenario because I saw a lot of my swimming skills start to play into my ability to control and manage those situations. So, you know, discipline, being able to remain calm under pressure, being able to be focused about what's going to happen, you know, taking control is a really big part of being a police officer you know whether you like it or not people look to you to be the decision maker and and to be the one that that can handle whatever that situation is Mm. despite the fact that you may have never actually dealt with it before so it's really interesting and and that ability to remain calm under pressure really served me well because that was something that I'd had to learn through racing through performing at that elite level you Mm. had to be able to control your mindset calm your body you know manage your parasympathetic nervous system all of those things. So that was really helpful. Um, I, I know in the police, you know, there were certain roles that I really loved Uh, youth work was was one of them which is what led me down to you know the the career I'm in now working in in YSAFE so I guess I I went with my gut I didn't spend too much time in the roles that I knew didn't suit my personality Mm. Um, you know I'm quite an empathetic person and I'm quite authentic so I I found myself in roles where I was uh, doing a lot of community liaison where I was you know good at communicating with people and helping them understand the perspective of the police force and why we had to some of the things that we did Uh, and of course working with young people I guess I was able to articulate you know this the other side that they didn't want to see or didn't want to hear about and why it was pivotal that you know we worked together to try and help everybody in the community thrive so it was it was a really great career Um, you know saw some really terrible stuff and I think that's that was one of the reasons that I stepped out of it after 13 years is I think you don't spend, you know, a career in the police without some damage um, being yeah. done to you mentally, emotionally. And I think, you know, we have to be aware of the impact that it's having on our well being and, and be proactive in taking steps to safeguard that. So that was one of the reasons that I stepped out.
0: It's interesting because the one theme that seems to be coming even early on in this conversation is that you are very good at understanding what works for you and understanding what doesn't and, and yeah. being able to move forward from the things that don't work for you.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, you've got to be able to self-reflect. You've got to be able to recognize what parts of your personality are suited to certain things. And while that doesn't mean you just do what suits you, I think it's our, it's our job in life to to find what fits and recognize what we're good at and Use those skills because they're the gifts that we're given and they're different for everybody. Um, and I think, you know, meaningful work and meaningful life comes from that where you feel like you're giving back, you feel you're able to contribute uh, in a way that actually helps people. Uh, that's what it's all about.
0: Mm. So, so one of the subjects you like to do your public speaking on is, is courageous conversations. And I find it such an interesting subject because I think there's so many people out there who are afraid to have hard conversations <laughs> um, it, and it, it causes many problems. There's the problem of it ends up owning their own space because they don't actually deal with the problem. Uh, eventually when they do bring it up, they do it in a really terrible way because uh, you know, it's just kind of emo- finally the emotions just overtake. It's a, it's a skill that a lot of people are really afraid of because we're, afraid of hurting other people's feelings um and so when we think about courageous conversations i think this is a subject that a lot of people probably struggle with so what would be some advice that you give around helping people actually have conversations where are about overcoming Mm -hmm. hard stuff and actually moving forward
1: yeah look it's it is it's it's difficult to have conversations when you feel like you might hurt someone but i think we've got to Understand that being clear and transparent with people is actually being kind. You know, I know Brene Brown talks about that, mm. you know, she's probably the, the ultimate expert mm. in pro conversations, but there's something to be said for being clear and direct um, because if you dance around issues and you I guess, put around things that are, are not, you know, likely to, to be an outcome that's gonna happen, uh, or you're not addressing an issue, then there's, there's harm caused outside of that. You know, if it's a work context, not addressing a person that's causing issues in a team means that it affects everybody and you know it affects productivity performance you know a range of different things so i think being clear and direct with people is is kind i think you know you always come from a place of acting in good faith as well i think there's you never need to hit below the belt you don't need to become really personal with people you don't need to attack them um i think you do, are able to manage that as well with with factual evidence you know if you're having a conversation with someone you've got actual you know facts to back up what you're saying not just opinions from different people and their, their potential skewed perceptions so i yeah. think having evidence, always acting in good faith, wanting to, to resolve a situation if you can, uh, and never being, you know, purposely mean or nasty are some really good tips, um, mm-hmm. for any conversation and yeah, not yeah. avoiding it in the first place, I guess. Yeah, is th- the well, the avoiding
0: is often the biggest problem, isn't it? Cause then you kind of build it up in your own head, don't you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can catastrophize. And I think, you know, we all, we all fall into those unhelpful thinking styles when, You know, when we don't address an issue, when we know we have to, you know, sometimes it is better to rip the bandaid off and and actually, you know, call it out and address that problem and resolve it fast. Whereas if we let things fester, if we don't address those things, they they do get worse, they exacerbate. And, you know, that's not good for anybody. You know, it's much better to resolve situations so we can all move forward.
0: And one thing I'd like to add on top of that is this kind of idea of to see your role. Like, you know, like... um... I'm, in my life. I'm very lucky to be a leader. I'm in lots of situations where I'm a leader. And so I often think, well, oh, it's the leader's job to do this. And mm-hmm. so if you can sit in your role to understand, or it's a good friend's job to do this, or it's a, you know, it's just to understand that I would want my good friend to pull me up on something, you know, it's that kind of understand the role of you're sitting in. You know, yeah. That,
1: and I think a lot of the time it's in the delivery, right? You, yeah. It's, it's about how you can show empathy for a person and the situation that they're in. You know, they might have done the wrong thing or there might be a problem, but it's about showing that you're coming from a, a good place, you know, yeah. empathising with what's going on with them, but also in the same breath, not allowing them to make things up themselves to justify their position. So mm. I guess quietly and calmly, you know, calling them out on the things that they need to be, um, but, you know, trying to be as supportive as you can. And I think deep down you know if if you're coming from an authentic place and and they feel energetically that you're trying to help them and you're trying to create a situation where there's harmony then most of the time people are you know willing to enter into that conversation and and have an honest honest conversation about what's going on Hmm.
0: so why safe so tell us about why safe and and tell us how it's all started and, and kind of what's the mission and all the rest of it
1: yeah, Well, I a really interesting story. So, uh probably about 2012-2013 Uh, I was still in the police force and uh, one of my colleagues who actually started YSAFE was over in WA. She's a psychologist uh, and she was having some issues with uh, some of the clients that she was working with, some young people that she knew as well uh, that were having complicated problems around social media, cyberbullying, things like that. And for me, I was working as a youth liaison officer in uh, the eastern suburbs of Sydney and I was called up to a pretty infamous suicide hotspot a place that we call The Gap, um, which is a 96-metre high clifftop uh, in Rose Bay. Now, as a police officer, I was there, you know, sometimes several times a week, sometimes wow. several times a week, uh, dealing with people with suicidal ideation. But this particular day, I was called up there and I was confronted with a 14-year-old girl who was on the incorrect side of the fence over an Instagram photograph. And, you know, for me as a police officer, I'd been up there many times. I'd had had to have these courageous conversations with people. Uh, And it was one of the moments where I just went, what do I say to this girl? She's 14 years old. What could possibly have happened on Instagram that could cause her to feel that her life might not be going past, you know, today? And, you know, it was a real eye-opener for me, the power of of social media and the impact on our young people, what cyberbullying can actually do and how it can bring a person to the brink, literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess from that moment I started to pay more attention to it. I wanted to learn more. I was getting asked by schools in the area to come and talk to the kids about these sorts of things and I'd had no training in it. I had no idea really what to say to them. So I guess I just kind of went down this path of directed learning and you know as as the police force is they they do provide information but it's it's quite generic it's not necessarily content that really is going to change behavior in young people and so I wanted to find a way to meaningfully connect with them and to teach them how to handle themselves in these sorts of situations um, and I guess to try and reduce the, the negative impact of of technology on their lives so uh, I decided to started doing that outside of the police force on my days off and my colleague over in WA had done the same thing and I guess a couple of years later we decided to join our businesses together and that's why I save um,
0: now. Wow and so where do you start? Because, you know, so many parents will be listening to this and going, w- w- how do you deal with this? Because it's A, there's just the attention grabbing of, of social media and the internet and those types of things. And then B, there's the bullying. And, and you know, where does the parent start?
1: Yeah, it's a really great great question I think start at the beginning whatever that is for you you know I think the days of parents saying oh it's too hard or I'm not tech savvy or I don't understand it those days are done you know that excuse was was okay for a while but the reality is is you're not expected to know everything but you're expected to try and start learning a bit about how to support your child through their online lives you know we have kids spending seven eight nine ten sometimes more hours a day in front of screens so So, you know, we we support them in their, their real lives but we need to understand what happens in their online lives as well. So, you know, it it, it can be as simple as as going to, you know, an education session at your your school. You know, they can hire people to come in and do presentations for parents. It's about having conversations about what your child's favourite game is and why they like them or what their favourite influencer is and why they're sort of connected to them. Um, One of the big pieces of advice that we will always give parents as well is, you know, try and make sure that if if anything goes wrong, that your child feels that they can come to you for help and and know that you're not going to, I guess, initially respond by either getting them in trouble, taking their device away, taking them off a particular platform or game because one of the things that we know now is help-seeking behaviour will diminish a lot if they feel that that is the response that they're going to get. So while it's really difficult as parents to not do that, it's absolutely the knee-jerk reaction so many people have, Uh, getting your kids to understand that while you're not going to give them unfettered access... You're with them on their journey and you understand that technology plays a pivotal and important and also positive role in their lives. Um, and it's, you know, your job as, as a parent to, to help support them and develop them into resilient digital citizens. So how do, how do you build that,
0: that trust, you know, yeah. like that trust in with your children, you know, because it's as you say, if you if you find out something's horrible is happening, you the instant thing is to protect them from that world, isn't it? So you yeah. want to, you know, yeah. if, if they're being abused on Instagram or something. Um, So how do you build the trust with your child? So they know that you won't take things off. Just, you know, what was the process you'd advise for that?
1: it happens way before an incident occurs you know it's in the conversation and it's in the micro conversations and macro conversations you have at the dinner table where you're actually not the parent that's sitting there going oh Fortnite's so addictive or jenny from work told me that you know this child at her daughter's school was being cyber bullied isn't instagram so bad like it's in the language it's in them understanding that you're not anti-technology uh, so that when they do come to you, you know you might not know exactly what to do, but. You might have educated yourself on what Instagram is or what TikTok actually is and have half an idea. And in the end, say to them, you know, I might not know everything, but I'm with you. We can work this out together. Whatever the situation is, you know, I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to sort of, I guess, manage my own emotions around it. And that's a really big part of it. It's mm. totally natural as a parent when your child is being targeted or attacked, to want, you know, want blood from the person that's doing it but it's also about managing your reactions, role modeling behavior, um, you know, not sort of playing into that whole I'm done with technology piece because parents might not know everything, but you don't need to pretend to be that to parent your children. You know, you don't need to be anti-tech. It's just about managing the day-to-days and being with them if something happens and You know, knowing where to report things to, um, knowing how to have content taken down, for example. They're small little things that are easily learnt um, that make a really big difference to kids.
0: In regards to things like, you know, there's different levels of... of harm, uh, you know, there's the harm, the obvious things like the bullying and stuff like that, but even just having conversations around where this should sit in your self perception, because, you know, like you look at Instagram, it's very much, it's a visual representation of, of an unrealistic world in many yeah. ways, and now let's not say it all is, but there's definitely an aspect of that, and so when we're thinking about teaching our kids to be realistic around what they're actually seeing, is that is just purely conversations, or, or how do you go about doing that?
1: Well, uh, look, we've I think... <laughs> everything's got to be multidimensional, you know, conversations are part of it. They should be learning about it in school as well. Okay. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's about taking those learning opportunities where you can. So, you know, our big job as parents and advocates for kids is to get them to think critically about the content they consume. So Instagram, as you mentioned, is really hard because it's all beautiful, glamorous life, you know, even when people don't put a filter over a photograph, it's still probably an attractive yeah. photograph. So I think it's about finding different opportunities um, to get them to understand that what goes up there is, you know, someone's A-grade photos. So there's been, you know, one of the sessions that we do for, I think it's year nine and 10, there's an Australian girl called Asana O'Neill. She was a supermodel a couple of years ago. And one of the things that she did after many years of modelling and sort of getting a bit fed up with the, the fakeness of that world is she actually went through her Instagram profile, deleted a whole heap of photos and she left about half a dozen to a dozen up there where she recaptioned what it took to actually get that photo.
0: Uh, okay.
1: So, you know, she talked about, you know, this particular photo took 150 goes to get the perfect angle. I didn't eat for a day or two before I've been no. spray tanned, you know, it's about what goes in it so they can piece those things together yeah. um, and get them to think about that the next time they're on Instagram. Um, because being an influencer, Uh, is a commitment you know one of the biggest things that they do is 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 that consistency of posting it takes time it takes effort to get that right caption all the right hashtags all of those links in there so it's about breaking it down and and i guess in those moments you know talking to them about how long do you think that would take and you know what what might they have done to actually get that photograph and getting getting it getting them to break it down a little bit to help them understand that they haven't just Clicked on a selfie and popped it up there and look amazing. Yeah. It's quite a lot of effort and consistency to get that perfect shot. What
0: about, what about when it is the next level, when it is bullying, when it is harmful, mm-hmm. like in the next level, what, what's the advice for a parent or an adult in their life um, to be able to help guide them through that?
1: Yeah. And look, that's, that's really, really difficult. I think, you know, having a conversation with your child It will depend on their age, right? So what you might do as a parent for a, you know, primary age kid, younger children is different to what you'll do with older kids. Um, But, you know, getting them to take a break maybe for a day or two is, is good. Um, You know, when I say don't take them off it, what I mean is don't, you know, take them off off it entirely you know i think we've got to be honest and have these conversations and say look it might be a good idea to just have have a short break today, take some time away from it, but I'm not shutting you off Instagram or TikTok. Yeah. Um, so just making sure that that delineation is there. Uh, when it comes to uh, cyberbullying, it's really important to be able to recognise what it is. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about is that it's not just mean and nasty words, it's actually behaviours. So getting people to pay attention to, uh, to what is actually going on in that situation. It could be, you know, being excluded from a, pr- a private chat chat group for example it could be um, you know a poll that's put up where we've seen this before we've got you know two young girls someone's put a a picture of both of them up on instagram and put a poll in there saying who's the ugliest girl Mm. out of these two you know, that's mm. cyberbullying,
0: yeah. um,
1: roasting and banter in games, you know, particularly with young boys, you know, where's the line that teasing at someone else's expense then becomes cyberbullying, mm. You know, how repeated or how personal, how targeted is it? So it's about understanding, I guess, the nuances there. And then if something really bad happens, that they know that they can report it to the platform, they can report it to to NetSafe in New Zealand, Um, the Safety Commissioner in Australia is one, where they can actually action things on behalf of young people or parents with with the support of their children. So um, making sure that, I guess, you know about those places in the first place, Uh, asking someone directly to stop Bullying you is is something that's often missed. You know, a oh, lot really? of the time we don't want to say, "Can you please stop saying that?" or "Can you please leave me alone?" or you know, saying, "Look, I'm feeling pretty harassed. Um, can you please stop?" Sometimes we miss that really simple step because we don't want someone to feel like they are affecting us. You know, what mm. a side bully really wants is an emotional reaction, and when they get that, often that perpetuates that problem. But sometimes when we say, "Look," I'm feeling this way. Can you please stop? Sometimes that will help. There's lots of different things, but I guess it's about understanding the psychology behind cyberbullying and what the context of that situation is and knowing a few key places that you can go to for
0: help. What, what Do you ever get the situation where the kid doesn't want the parent to be involved, even though it's quite harmful? And, and, and what's, you know, cause it's, yeah. What does what the parent do in that situation?
1: Yeah. you've got to, you've got to look at, I guess, at the facts and, make a decision for that child if it is really harmful. We know that I think I read a percentage a while ago that 76% of kids just want to get advice, so they might just want to talk to their parents, but they don't necessarily want their parents to step in. Okay. Um, and, you know, it might be the same with the school. They just want to talk things through. So I think, you know, on reasonably low-level or medium-level situations where that's happening, we've got to respect our children and, and really acknowledge that it's brave for them to ask for help that's the most important thing that help seeking behavior so you know by regulating our emotions and our reactions as parents we can support that Uh, we can we can act i guess under that pressure if it is becoming very harmful if a child is you know not wanting to go to school for example because of what's going on between friends that you know is spilling out into the online world and the playground if there's mental health concerns things like that you know as parents we've just got We've got to make the, the hard choices for our kids to make sure that they're supported. Mm. Um, but it doesn't, you know, necessarily have to be that extreme. I think, you know, one of the biggest questions that we can't forget to ask our kids is what's a good solution for you in this? You know, mm. you might just want to talk about it. Do you want me to speak to the school? Do you want me to do something else? What's a, what's a good outcome for you here? And that's an yeah. important
0: question. But what, what about boundaries of devices? You know, because, you know, like... Uh, my, my, my daughter's 23 now, but I remember and she, she was kind of of an age of a teenager kind of just as this stuff was coming out. Yeah. But, you know, it got to the point where I was taking my, my bloody, um, my router to bed with me, you know, like it's, you know, like they're designed yeah. to be addictive and kids, you know, like, and I imagine that, that was nearly 10 years ago now or eight, seven years ago, um, I imagine it's a lot more challenging right now. So how do you manage the, the boundaries of the device?
1: Yeah, great question. So there are some really amazing parental control tools out there now, okay. which uh, I, I would say for for younger children are now a kind of necessity, you know, to to get them um on their devices have them form part of their digital life like i've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old my six-year-old like they don't do anything on devices you know they'll watch a bit of netflix yeah. and my little pony or something but they've got um, one called family zone which is the one that we recommend they've got that on their device now so that they are just used to it you know when they get blocked from a site or they get blocked from something they go oh okay that's family zone. i'm not meant to look at that oh, okay so it's just about starting young and getting them into that that habit um, of, of knowing what that is you know certainly when they get into their teenage years particularly that 14 15 16 they're gonna, they're gonna hate it they're gonna want it <laughs> gone um, and there's lots of kids that are able to bypass certain yeah. controls. Like they're not foolproof, uh, but they're not meant to be. They're meant to be a tool in. A larger toolkit for parents. They're not meant to be something that you know you're completely blocking everything um, that they're not meant to see, uh, because we know that banning things in life, you know, doesn't really work too no, well. No. Uh, but it's about having a tool for when they're younger, and hopefully, you know, by the time that they're 15, 16, we're then establishing relationships of trust with them, where we hopefully have taught them some skills throughout their lives to help manage and regulate their time. Um, you know, where they can. And their emotions and know when to switch off and the funny thing is is when you give kids trust you know often they will prove be able to prove to you that they're they're able to to do the right thing I think we don't want to undermine them and just expect that they're always going to you know do the wrong thing because they might not um, yeah. a lot of parents say you know what's the age where we could switch it off and we get a lot of fourteen year you know, parents of fourteen year olds that that sort of want that independence and they they think they're too old for parental controls and generally what we say is is just after that age 14 maybe 15 you'll sort of let it go a little bit because at 14 developmentally kids go through this this leap right they want that independence but their impulse control and their you know ability to regulate their emotions is not quite there so we see lots of cyberbullying happen at that age and a lot of you know inappropriate content videos images that might be you know a little bit risque start to come out because they're also developing their relationships too so it's really difficult at that age i would say that's the hardest age any parent really has to deal with um you know in terms of wanting that independence and freedom but also not being quite able to manage themselves then you have
0: to be a bit bit more stronger in holding on to the kind of the adulting at that moment
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Look, there's no parenting playbook. There never has been. And, you know, the interesting thing is the digital world's not any different to real life. You know, you've just got to sometimes make it up as you go along and trust your gut and know your child and, you know, Take those learning and teaching opportunities where you can, without being too much of a preacher. Um, that
0: mm. is usually helpful. Okay, but what, what about on an adult level? Because let's be honest, a lot of people are addicted to devices, and in a way, that's dissatisfying for life. Where you know that, that there's, there's there's a level where it's you know it's a, it's a good thing in my life, and then there's a level where I, I know I should be doing all these other things, and I'm stuck on Facebook right now. Or I'm stuck on yeah. Insta, or yeah. you, we actually you just going, I'm you are scrolling through again, just saying I'm wasting my life right now. What are some good kind of Mindsets, strategies tools people can use to to, so that the device is of value but not harmful
1: Hmm. this will be different for everybody but i guess knowing what your triggers are to start using technology is a really big one you know a lot of the time when people are feeling bored or they're feeling anxious uh, or there's something going on for them, they will reach for their device because it gives us that dopamine effect. Yeah. It makes us feel good. You know that neurological response is there. So I guess it's about being cognizant of why you're picking up your device. Sometimes, you know, when it comes to a work context, you know, we're all tethered to our devices in in some way. And I think having a good perspective around the benefits, you know, understanding that. You know we wouldn't have got through COVID without our technology so it's great but there are some things that we can do to moderate our use and and know that that's important so you know having some you know firm boundaries about the time that you're switching off you know at the end of the day yeah. turning your notifications off is a really really big one um, you know so many people know that they should do it but you'd be surprised at how many people actually don't do it so Mm. they're getting notifications from their social media accounts their email their calendar their you know Deliveroo or Uber Eats like it's all coming through and that is all a distraction and it's all taking time away from something else that you should be focusing on so um, a few quick tips Uh, another thing that you can do is grayscale your screen if you really are having problems with picking up your device all the time. One of the things that we know is that our brain and our eyes are attracted to warm colors. So, you know, the notification bubble that's red is red for a reason. You know, our brain interprets red as an emergency why stop signs are red it's why traffic signs are red so if you grayscale your screen it's terrible but for short periods where you need to be really productive or focused you can do that and your phone will not be a distraction anywhere near the level that it was you know previously so you know we recommend doing that for short stints maybe a few hours or a day or something like that Um, you know making sure that you're using that blue light filter at night time making sure that you're not using your devices really close to the time that you go to sleep because it does activate your brain you know people Mm -hmm. sort of lie in bed a lot of the time and they hold their device really close to their face so they're absorbing really you know high intensity blue light which suppresses the melatonin in their brains and it makes it harder for us to fall asleep and get good quality sleep so i think this is a bit of education on how devices impact you really importantly thinking about how you feel when you get off them and what might cause you to trigger to use it in your in your you know spare time are you feeling anxious for a reason are you feeling, you know, isolated? Are you feeling upset about something? And are you picking up your device to, to soothe yourself? Um, and just being aware of that and maybe some better ways that you might be able to, to sort of deal with that sort of emotion.
0: As you're speaking, I think another maybe a good strategy to think about as well is just to think of the why of the time. And what I mean by that is like, because you see a lot of people, you go out to restaurants nowadays and, and everyone's, you know, in a group of people, but they're all looking at their phones. Um, and you know, we're all guilty of it, like, but it's that kind of what's the purpose of the time I'm going to be doing? And so it's that kind of idea of my time is to be social, so it's time to put my phone away. Um, or not even take your phone with you, although we would take your phone with you. But you know what I mean? Like it's just have an understanding of what's the objective of the time I'm actually trying to be spending. Right
1: no, exactly right. That's something that we talk to parents about a lot when it comes to managing their children's screen time is, you know, we want to A, look at things like quality versus quantity. So what are they doing with that time and how does it how does it impact them? But really importantly, the factor that most people miss is not how much time they're spending on a device, it's what are they missing out on.
0: Yeah
1: in order to be on that device so are they not playing sport are they not being active are they not going to school are they not doing their homework are they not hanging out with their real life friends in favor of something like a game you know that's where there's problems when we're starting to diminish our real lives in order to spend more time in our digital lives Mm -hmm. and I guess what that balance is and Mm -hmm. you know the same can certainly be applied to us as adults you know if we're sitting at a cafe and two people are on their devices and not connecting with each other and not talking, you know, that's a problem. And, yeah. and we're all guilty of it. Nobody's perfect, but just being mindful of the purpose of why you're there.
0: So I always love to ask people who, who help others is what's your biggest struggle within it?
1: Within just, like helping people?
0: Well, no, is in like your own kind of habits around devices and stuff like that.
1: Uh, yeah. So being the expert that gives everybody advice. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, well, well, I'm not,
0: not saying that's the case, but you know, we all have our struggles, you know,
1: no, I, I fully agree. I think, you know, I, I struggle with boundaries personally, you know, I think my uh, half of my team is in WA and they're three hours behind. Uh, in okay. So, you know, my day starts early and then, you know, by the time that we get into five, six o'clock at night where I need to switch off and, you know, be with my kids and be a present parent, they're still like full bore over in mm-hmm. WA. And I find that really difficult because I I want to be able to contribute to what's needed over there. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I want to be a good present parent. And I know that those conversations around the dinner table with my kids are really important. So I can switch on to what's happening for them. And I know what's going on at school and who they're playing with and what's happening in those friendship groups, you know. It's all of that sort of stuff. So boundaries for me are really hard. And I think, you know, there, there aren't always hard and fast rules. I don't think they work for everybody saying, oh, I've got to switch off at 5 o'clock every day. I think what I do is I turn the dial. So if I work a bit later in the night, one night, I try to have a slower morning the next day if I can or I get out for a run and, you know, I have to deal with the guilt of not being at my desk at nine o'clock or eight thirty, But I know that you know I can justify that. And you know, I, I guess that the flip side of working later in the evening because WA is awake is that they're still asleep. But you know, 8.
0: that's true, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you
1: know, it's about just trying to turn that they're, they're
0: human negotiation, eh? You know,
1: yeah, <laughs> guilt's a hard one, you know, we, we all you know, we have this intrinsic desire to be a part of something, to be connected, to be a contributor. And, you know, it's hard because we all are well-meaning, but we've got a million different competing priorities in our lives. And, you know, I think a lot of the time when we're left to our own devices, we anticipate what people are going to think of us and we anticipate, you know, judgments a lot of the time and and that that self-talk managing our own self-talk getting back into I guess that that courageous conversations piece is the most important conversation is the one that you have with yourself you know you've got to be able to be brave with your priorities and your values and and not judging yourself too much
0: yeah yeah, it, just as you're talking there, it just made me think of that kind of understanding that kind of purpose and that alignment of self is a really important part of that, isn't it? Because when you aren't being that, there's there's a real dissonance within yourself. And if you, if one of, the, I think one of the greatest skills is to understand when dissonance starts and to yeah. hit it early, and so yeah. then you don't kind of go down that path too far. Um, yeah. And so yeah, the understanding is really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you know it, it comes back to that self reflection piece. We yeah, don't does, have time it? to to really think about, you know, what we're doing, how we're doing it, how we're contributing, you know, how we're talking to ourselves and what, as you say, are our core values. There don't mm-hmm. have to be too many, but I think, you know, for me, I have two. I try to be authentic and I, and I think my health is my wealth. And that is, you know, includes everything, you know, emotional, mental, physical. If I'm in alignment that way, then I'm, I'm at, my best to, to contribute to my team and, and to help people that I work with um, and if I am true to myself being authentic you know I, I live into my values that way as well so it's yeah. important.
0: Um, so if people want to follow you if they want to kind of get um, Ysafe or your organization involved in what you do maybe just give us the plug?
1: Yeah absolutely so our website is uh, Ysafe, Y-S-A-F-E, Dot com.au. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of information on our website there for parents, for schools, for businesses. Uh, So we do a range of of face-to-face or virtual presentations in schools, starting at kindergarten all the way up to year 12, Uh, staff education, parent seminars, uh, you know, and when we do parent seminars, we actually have a, a big cyber safety hub that we give to the schools as well, which has a lot of answers to those questions that we've talked about today. So managing tech tantrums, screen time. Um, talking to kids about bullying and inappropriate content that they may view so all of that is there um, and then of course you know London at ysafe.com.au is my email I'm always encouraging people to get in touch if there's something that you know they're not sure of they need advice on um, you know always willing to have a chat so
0: and just on that front, I know you're an Australian organisation, but do you is there more reach than Australia? Is that something you guys are doing or is it?
1: Yeah, yeah. well, we, we at the moment are virtually presenting sessions in New Zealand, so oh. that's something that, that we're able to, to do. And, look, it's like everything. If, if the demand is strong enough there, um, certainly we have facilitators on the ground. We're in pretty much every state in Australia. Uh, we've got a team in Indonesia. We're looking at a team in the UK and, and the Great. US and, year or so, COVID, you know, willing, but um, but certainly, you know, uh Globally, you know, we want to have that reach. We want to be able to help people in as many places as we can. So, if there's a school or an organisation or a group of parents uh, where you are, get in touch and let's see what we can we can figure out for you.
0: Oh, it's really important work. It's it's, it's such a, a modern problem, such a new problem, and it's so important to people like you are doing the work you're doing. So, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'll, I'll put the links to uh, Yasmin's work in the show notes for the show. But you've been to bloody Starthick you for your time.
1: Oh, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Right our team, hopefully you got a lot of a lot of good good gold nuggets from Yasmin through that interview. Now I'm gonna be really honest. I'm doing this bit here before I've actually interviewed Yasmin. So I don't know what we talked about, but I'm pretty sure she probably had some pretty good stuff in there. And if she gave you techniques Aim to apply them, because I'm big on that. Uh, I want to say a big thank you. This is kind of my last show of the year. I'll I'll Probably what I'll do over the Christmas season. I may have another show that I'm... Because I'm doing an interview on Thursday. So I may put that up in the Christmas season. Or I might just grab an old interview from the past. Because I've got some pretty good old interviews in the past. Um, I just want to say... This year's been a crazy year. Let's be honest about it. Um, But in many ways... There's been some pretty great stuff that's come out of it. So I hope for you... While it's been a struggle and while there's been adversity, I hope that you've learned some cool lessons in your life that will help you move into the next moment of our life in a much more powerful way. Um, yeah. I want to say a big thank you for everybody who supports the show the patrons if you want to become a patron go to bev and james isles um i've been getting lots of feedback from people i see lately just saying how much they really enjoy the podcast so i really appreciate you know when it gives me any feedback put your feedback on your on your podcast catches spread the word about the show if that really helps um yeah 2021 is coming up it's gonna be a pretty exciting time as we look to the future hopefully we get on top of COVID and it's kind of a thing of the past pretty soon and we can kind of get back to normality or or get back to a future or a life that is not restricted in the way we had these restrictions Uh, yeah it's just interesting looking back on this last year anyway that's pretty much me for this stage i I will be back in a couple there will be a show in a couple weeks from now i'm not quite sure if it's just this what i'm doing right now or if it's just a rehash from something in the past but there will be and then i'll be back in the new year from there so as always thank you so much for your time and attention it really means a lot to me and keep being you